chapter one part two of smoke blue by jack london this librivox recording is in the public domain the taste of the meat short hauls and short rests he muttered that's the trick sometimes he did not make a hundred yards and each time he struggled to his feet for another short haul the pack became undeniably heavier he panted for breath and the sweat streamed from him before he had covered a quarter of a mile he stripped off his woollen shirt and hung it on a tree a little later he discarded his hat at the end of half a mile he decided he was finished he had never exerted himself so in his life and he knew that he was finished as he sat and panted his gaze fell upon the big revolver and the heavy cartridge belt ten pounds of junk he sneered as he unbuckled it he did not bother to hang it on a tree but flung it into the underbush and as the steady tide of packers flowed by him up trail and down he noted that the other tender feet were beginning to shed their shooting irons his short hauls decreased at times a hundred feet was all he could stagger and then the ominous pounding of his heart against his eardrums and the sickening totteriness of his knees compelled him to rest and his rest grew longer but his mind was busy it was a twenty-eight mile portage which represented as many days and this by all accounts was the easiest part of it wait till you get to chilcoot others told him as they rested and talked where you climb with hands and feet there ain't going to be no chilcoot was his answer not for me long before that i'll be at peace in my little couch beneath the moss a slip and a violent wrenching effort at recovery frightened him he felt that everything inside him had been torn asunder if ever i fall down with this on my back i'm a goner he told another packer that's nothing came the answer wait till you hit the canyon you'll have to cross a raging torrent on a sixty-foot pine tree no guide ropes nothing and the water boiling at the sag of the log to your knees if you fall with a pack on your back there's no getting out of the straps you just stay there and drown sounds good to me he retorted and out of the depths of his exhaustion he almost meant it they drown three or four a day there the man assured him i helped fish a german out of there he had four thousand in greenbacks on him cheerful i must say said kit battling his way to his feet and tottering on he and the sack of beans became a perambulating tragedy it reminded him of the old man of the sea who sat on sinbad's neck and this was one of those intensely masculine vacations he meditated compared with it the servitude to o'hara was sweet again and again he was nearly seduced by the thought of abandoning the sack of beans in the brush and of sneaking around the camp to the beach and catching a steamer for civilization but he didn't somewhere in him was the strain of the hard and he repeated over and over to himself that what other men could do he could it became a nightmare chant and he gibbered it to those that passed him on the trail at other times resting he watched and envied the stolid mule-footed indians that plodded by under heavier packs they never seemed to rest but went on and on with a steadiness and certitude that were to him appalling he sat and cursed he had no breath for it when under way and fought the temptation to sneak back to san francisco before the mile pack was ended he ceased cursing and took to crying the tears were tears of exhaustion and of disgust with self 
if ever a man was a wreck he was as the end of the pack came in sight he strained himself in desperation gained the camp site and pitched forward on his face the beans on his back it did not kill him but he lay for fifteen minutes before he could summon sufficient shreds of strength to relieve himself from the straps then he became deathly sick and was so found by robbie who had similar troubles of his own it was this sickness of robbie that braced kit up what other men can do we can do kit told robbie though down in his heart he wondered whether or not he was bluffing and i am twenty-seven years old and a man he privately assured himself many times in the days that followed there was need for it at the end of a week though he had succeeded in moving his eight hundred pounds forward a mile a day he had lost fifteen pounds of his own weight his face was lean and haggard all resilience had gone out of his body and mind he no longer walked but plodded and on the back trips travelling light his feet dragged almost as much as when he was loaded he had become a work animal he fell asleep over his food and his sleep was heavy and beastly save when he was aroused screaming with agony by the cramps in his legs every part of him ached he tramped on raw blisters yet even this was easier than the fearful bruising his feet received on the water-rounded rocks of the dyea flats across which the trail led for two miles these two miles represented thirty-eight miles of travelling he washed his face once a day his nails torn and broken and afflicted with hangnails were never cleaned his shoulders and chest galled by the pack straps made him think and for the first time with understanding of the horses he had seen on city streets one ordeal that nearly destroyed him at first had been the food the extraordinary amount of work demanded extraordinary stoking and his stomach was unaccustomed to great quantities of bacon and of the coarse highly poisonous brown beans as a result his stomach went back on him and for several days the pain and irritation of it and of starvation nearly broke him down and then came the day of joy when he could eat like a ravenous animal and wolf-eyed asked for more when they had moved the outfit across the footlogs at the mouth of the canyon they made a change in their plans word had come across the pass that at lake linderman the last available trees for building boats were being cut the two cousins with tools whipsaw blankets and grub on their backs went on leaving kit and his uncle to hustle along the outfit john Ballou now shared the cooking with kit and both packed shoulder to shoulder time was flying and on the peaks the first snow was falling to be caught on the wrong side of the pass meant a delay of nearly a year the older man put his iron back under a hundred pounds kit was shocked but he gritted his teeth and fastened his own straps to a hundred pounds it hurt but he had learned the knack and his body purged of all softness and fat was beginning to harden up with lean and bitter muscle also he observed and devised he took note of the head straps worn by the indians and manufactured one for himself which he used in addition to the shoulder straps it made things easier so that he began the practice of piling any light cumbersome piece of luggage on top thus he was soon able to bend along with a hundred pounds in the straps fifteen or twenty more lying loosely on top of the pack and against his neck an axe or a pair of oars in one hand and in the other the nested cooking pails of the camp but work as they would the toil increased the trail grew more rugged their packs grew heavier and each day saw the snow line dropping down the mountains while freight jumped to sixty cents 
no word came from the cousins beyond so they knew they must be at work chopping down the standing trees and whipsawing them into boat planks john bellew grew anxious capturing a bunch of indians back tripping from lake linderman he persuaded them to put their straps on the outfit they charged thirty cents a pound to carry it to the summit of chilcoot and it nearly broke him as it was some four hundred pounds of clothes bags and camp outfit were not handled he remained behind to move it along dispatching kit with the indians at the summit kit was to remain slowly moving his ton until overtaken by the four hundred pounds with which his uncle guaranteed to catch him kit plodded along the trail with his indian packers in recognition of the fact that it was to be a long pack straight to the top of chilcoot his own load was only eighty pounds the indians plodded under their loads but it was a quicker gait than he had practised yet he felt no apprehension and by now had come to deem himself almost the equal of an indian at the end of a quarter of a mile he desired to rest but the indians kept on he stayed with them and kept his place in the line at the half mile he was convinced that he was incapable of another step yet he gritted his teeth kept his place and at the end of the mile was amazed that he was still alive then in some strange way came the thing called second wind and the next mile was almost easier than the first the third mile nearly killed him but though half delirious with pain and fatigue he never whimpered and then when he felt he must surely faint came the rest instead of sitting in the straps as was the custom of the white packers the indians slipped out of the shoulder and head straps and lay at ease talking and smoking a full half hour passed before they made another start to kit's surprise he found himself a fresh man and long hauls and long rests became his newest motto the pitch of chilcoot was all he had heard of it and many were the occasions when he climbed with hands as well as feet but when he reached the crest of the divide in the thick of a driving snow squall it was in the company of his indians and his secret pride was that he had come through with them and never squealed and never lagged to be almost as good as an indian was a new ambition to cherish when he had paid off the indians and seen them depart a stormy darkness was falling and he was left alone a thousand feet above timber-line on the backbone of a mountain wet to the waist famished and exhausted he would have given a year's income for a fire and a cup of coffee instead he ate half a dozen cold flapjacks and crawled into the folds of a partly unrolled tent as he dozed off he had time for only one fleeting thought and he grinned with vicious pleasure at the picture of john bellew in the days to follow masculinely back-tripping his four hundred pounds up chilcoot as for himself even though burdened with two thousand pounds he was bound down the hill in the morning stiff from his labours and numb with the frost he rolled out of the canvas ate a couple of pounds of uncooked bacon buckled the straps on a hundred pounds and went down the rocky way several hundred yards beneath the trail led across a small glacier and down to crater lake other men packed across the glacier all that day he dropped his packs at the glacier's upper edge and by virtue of the shortness of the pack he put his straps on one hundred and fifty pounds each load his astonishment at being able to do it never abated for two dollars he bought from an indian three leathery sea biscuits and out of these and a huge quantity of raw bacon made several meals unwashed unwarmed his clothing wet with sweat he slept another night in the canvas in the early morning he spread a tarpaulin on the ice loaded it with three-quarters of a ton and started to pull where the pitch of the glacier accelerated his load likewise accelerated 
overran him scooped him in on top and ran away with him a hundred packers bending under their loads stopped to watch him he yelled frantic warnings and those in his path stumbled and staggered clear below on the lower edge of the glacier was pitched a small tent which seemed leaping toward him so rapidly did it grow larger he left the beaten track where the packers trail swerved to the left and struck a patch of fresh snow this arose about him in frosty smoke while it reduced his speed he saw the tent the instant he struck it carrying away the corner guys bursting in the front flaps and fetching up inside still on top of the tarpaulin and in the midst of his grub sacks the tent rocked drunkenly and in the frosty vapour he found himself face to face with a startled young woman who was sitting up in her blankets the very one who had called him a tenderfoot at dyea did you see my smoke he queried cheerfully she regarded him with disapproval talk about your magic carpets he went on do you mind removing that sack from my foot she said coldly he looked and lifted his weight quickly it wasn't a sack it was my elbow pardon me the information did not perturb her and her coolness was a challenge it was a mercy you did not overturn the stove she said he followed her glance and saw a sheet-iron stove and a coffee-pot attended by a young squaw he sniffed the coffee and looked back to the girl i'm a chekako he said her bored expression told him that he was stating the obvious but he was unabashed i've shed my shooting-irons he added then she recognized him and her eyes lighted i never thought you'd get this far she informed him again and greedily he sniffed the air as i live coffee he turned and directly addressed her i'll give you my little finger cut it right off now i'll do anything i'll be your slave for a year and a day or any other old time if you'll give me a cup out of that pot and over the coffee he gave his name and learned hers joy gastel also he learned that she was an old-timer in the country she had been born in a trading post on the great slave and as a child had crossed the rockies with her father and come down to the yukon she was going in she said with her father who had been delayed by business in seattle and who had then been wrecked on the ill-fated chanter and carried back to puget sound by the rescuing steamer in view of the fact that she was still in her blankets he did not make it a long conversation and heroically declining a second cup of coffee he removed himself and his heaped and shifted baggage from her tent further he took several conclusions away with him she had a fetching name and fetching eyes could not be more than twenty or twenty-one or two her father must be french she had a will of her own and temperament to burn and she had been educated elsewhere than on the frontier over the ice scoured rocks and above the timberline the trail ran around crater lake and gained the rocky defile that led toward happy camp and the first scrub pines to pack his heavy outfit around would take days of heart-breaking toil on the lake was a canvas boat employed in freighting two trips with it in two hours would see him and his ton across but he was broke and the ferryman charged forty dollars a ton you've got a gold mine my friend in that dinky boat kit said to the ferryman do you want another gold mine show me was the answer i'll sell it to you for the price of ferrying my outfit it's an idea not patented and you can jump the deal as soon as i tell you it are you game the ferryman said he was and kit liked his looks very well you see that glacier take a pickaxe and wade into it in a day you can have a decent groove from top to bottom see the point the chilkoot and crater lake consolidated chute corporation limited you can charge fifty cents a hundred get a hundred tons a day 
and have no work to do but collect the coin two hours later kit's tongue was across the lake and he had gained three days on himself and when john blue overtook him he was well along toward deep lake another volcanic pit filled with glacial water the last pack from long lake to linderman was three miles and the trail if trail it could be called rose up over a thousand foot hogback dropped down a scramble of slippery rocks and crossed a wide stretch of swamp john Ballou remonstrated when he saw kit arise with a hundred pounds in the straps and pick up a fifty-pound sack of flour and place it on top of the pack against the back of his neck come on you chunk of the hard kit retorted kick in on your bear meat fodder and your one suit of underclothes but john Ballou shook his head i'm afraid i'm getting old christopher you're only forty-eight do you realize that my grandfather sir your father old isaac Ballou, killed a man with his fist when he was sixty-nine years old john Ballou grinned and swallowed his medicine avuncular avuncular i want to tell you something important i was raised a lord fauntleroy but i can outpack you outwalk you put you on your back or lick you with my fist right now john Ballou thrust out his hand and spoke solemnly christopher my boy i believe you can do it i believe you can do it with that pack on your back at the same time you've made good boy though it's too unthinkable to believe kidd made the round trip of the last pack four times a day wishes to say that he daily covered twenty-four miles of mountain climbing twelve miles of it under one hundred and fifty pounds he was proud hard and tired but in splendid physical condition he ate and slept as he had never eaten and slept in his life and as the end of the work came in sight he was almost half sorry one problem bothered him he had learned that he could fall with a hundred weight on his back and survive but he was confident if he fell with that additional fifty pounds across the back of his neck that it would break it clean each trail through the swamp was quickly churned bottomless by the thousands of packers who were compelled continually to make new trails it was while pioneering such a new trail that he solved the problem of the extra fifty the soft lush surface gave way under him he floundered and pitched forward on his face the fifty pounds crushed his face in the mud and went clear without snapping his neck with the remaining hundred pounds on his back he arose on hands and knees but he got no farther one arm sank to the shoulder pillowing his cheek in the slush as he drew this arm clear the other sank to the shoulder in this position it was impossible to slip the straps and the hundred weight on his back would not let him rise on hands and knees sinking first one arm and then the other he made an effort to crawl to where the small sack of flour had fallen but he exhausted himself without advancing and so churned and broke the grass surface that a tiny pool of water began to form in perilous proximity to his mouth and nose he tried to throw himself on his back with the pack underneath but this resulted in sinking both arms to the shoulders and gave him a foretaste of drowning with exquisite patience he slowly withdrew one sucking arm and then the other and rested them flat on the surface for the support of his chin then he began to call for help after a time he heard the sound of feet sucking through the mud as some one advanced from behind lend a hand friend he said throw out a lifeline or something it was a woman's voice that answered and he recognized it if you'll unbuckle the straps i can get up the hundred pounds rolled into the mud with a soggy noise and he slowly gained his feet a pretty predicament miss gastel laughed at sight of his mud-covered face not at all he replied airily my favourite physical exercise stunt try it sometime it's great for the pectoral muscles and the spine he wiped his face flinging the slush from his hand with a snappy jerk oh she cried in recognition it's mr ah uh, mr smoke Ballou. i thank you gravely for your timely rescue and for that name he answered 
i have been doubly baptized henceforth i shall insist always on being called smoke baloo it is a strong name and not without significance he paused and then voice and expression became suddenly fierce do you know what i am going to do he demanded i am going back to the states i am going to get married i am going to raise a large family of children and then as the evening shadows fall i shall gather those children about me and relate the sufferings and hardships i endured on the chilkoot trail and if they don't cry i repeat if they don't cry i'll lambaste the stuffing out of them the arctic winter came down apace snow that had come to stay lay six inches on the ground and the ice was forming in quiet ponds despite the fierce gales that blew it was in the late afternoon during a lull in such a gale that kit and john Ballou helped the cousins load the boat and watched it disappear down the lake in a snow squall and now a night's sleep and an early start in the morning said john Ballou, if we aren't storm-bound at the summit we'll make dyea to-morrow night and if we have luck in catching a steamer we'll be in san francisco in a week enjoyed your vacation kit asked absently their camp for that last night at linderman was a melancholy remnant everything of use including the tent had been taken by the cousins a tattered tarpaulin stretched as a windbreak partially sheltered them from the driving snow supper they cooked on an open fire in a couple of battered and discarded camp utensils all that was left them were their blankets and food for several meals from the moment of the departure of the boat kit had become absent and restless his uncle noticed his condition and attributed it to the fact that the end of the hard toil had come only once during supper did kit speak avuncular he said relevant of nothing after this i wish you'd call me smoke i've made some smoke on this trail haven't i a few minutes later he wandered away in the direction of the village of tents that sheltered the gold rushers who were still packing or building their boats he was gone several hours and when he returned and slipped into his blankets john Ballou was asleep in the darkness of a gale-driven morning kit crawled out built a fire in his stocking feet by which he thawed out his frozen shoes then boiled coffee and fried bacon it was a chilly miserable meal as soon as it was finished they strapped their blankets as john Ballou turned to lead the way toward the chilkoot trail kit held out his hand good-bye avuncular he said john Ballou looked at him and swore in his surprise don't forget my name smoke kit chided but what are you going to do kit waved his hand in a general direction northward over the storm-lashed lake what's the good of turning back after getting this far he asked besides i've got my taste of meat and i like it i'm going on you're broke protested john Ballou. you have no outfit i've got a job behold your nephew christopher smoke Ballou he's got a job he's a gentleman's man he's got a job at a hundred and fifty per month and grub he's going down to dawson with a couple of dudes and another gentleman's man camp cook boatman and general all-around hustler and o'hara and the billow can go to the devil good-bye but john Ballou was dazed and could only mutter i don't understand they say the bald-faced grizzlies are thick in the yukon basin kit explained well i've got only one suit of underclothes and i'm going after the bear meat that's all end of chapter one part two